Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We continue our study here in 2 Thessalonians. Now, several things that we have to remember and keep in mind here is that uh, the saints had developed a doctrine of imminency and they adhered to the doctrine of imminency. Now, as a result, what happened? Remember the, the, the first letter, 1 Thessalonians, that was written. And they receive the letter from Paul. They read it and they say, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is returning. And yes, he is returning. So what they did is they headed for the hills. They say, okay, let's relocate it. They, they headed for the hills and they say, okay, let's relocate and let's wait for Jesus for him to return riding on the clouds, just as Paul says. And now it is true that Jesus Christ is returning and he will ride on the clouds. But then at the same time, there are prerequisites. There are certain things that have to happen before that event happens. And so that was First Thessalonians. And then the, the, they developed the head for the hills mentality. And the Lord says, hey, Paul, hey, Paul, write them again. Write them again and tell them the things that have to happen. And it's very important to understand because you know, the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine, we don't teach that. I don't teach that. The reason why is because it is unbiblical. And if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our prior studies and even topical messages. Uh, the first one is uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And then listen to another one. It's called When is the Rapture? And then listen to our studies through 1 Thessalonians and then also 2 Thessalonians, and you'll understand more. We give reason piece by piece, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, why the pre-trib rapture theory does not align with the word of God. And so we start here in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 1, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now pause here for a moment. The, the pre-trib rapture theory says that Jesus Christ comes for the church before the seven years. And then he comes with the church at the end of the seven years. That is unbiblical. The theory doesn't align with scripture. Remember in our prior studies in 1 Thessalonians, the living the living will by no means precede the dead. Remember, the living will by no means precede the dead. The pre-tribulation rapture theory ignores this truth and says the living will precede the dead. Again, that theory is unbiblical. Remember verse 1 here in chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians says the coming of our Lord Jesus. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, coming is parousia in the Greek. Parousia in the Greek. It's found in Matthew 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 27. Matthew 24, verse 37. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 12 and first John chapter 2 verse 28 more but there are more verses where the same word is used parousia but then at the same time to understand that there's a plethora of verses referring to com the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and so here in verse 1 says now brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and now this is Kai K-I-A or K-A-I Kai this is Kai. 
Now, remember, the word kai, it's not like, you know, uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, period, and then also our gathering. No, it's concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, kai, our gathering together to him. This kai, remember, there's inclusivity with the word kai. And many saints get into trouble here because they separate the event as two, but the event is singular. Kai, and in more in our study about the word kai in the Greek, listen to our study. It's called, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. Do not take the mark of the beast. And you'll hear a, a, a pastor, reformed and Calvinist pastor, you'll hear a pastor say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. For such a time as this, this teaching is spreading. And it's happening a lot among Calvinists and Reformed. When Calvinists and Reformed, also unbiblical. Now, I say Calvinists and Reformed, unbiblical, and I just don't want to make this blanket statement. I mean, it is unbiblical. But listen to our study. Do not take the mark of the beast. We cover Kai, so you can have a deeper understanding of the inclusivity of the word Kai. But then you'll also hear the pastor, uh, so-called pastor, say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. And then if you're Calvinist Reformed, listen to that. If you're Calvinist Reformed, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll know more about predestination. You'll you'll see more about predestination, what the Bible teaches about predestination. Not according to John Calvin, according to the truth of God's holy word. The word Kai has inclusivity. And so we see in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Kai, and our gathering together to him, not singular events, but rather two wrapped into one. You see here that, you know, concern or not two singular events, but, you know, Jesus Christ comes riding on the cloud, just like we study in 1 Thessalonians. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain, which is translated as we who are alive and survive, are raptured up and we join them together to be with the Lord forever. You see? And so what the pre-tribulation rapture theory teaches is that before the 70th week is the rapture of the church. And then all hell on earth breaks loose. And then Jesus Christ returns and then, you know, there's going to be death and destruction during the, the tribulation, during that, the 70, 70th week of Daniel. And then all of a sudden, and then uh, the, the, the church is going to return at the end of the seven years with Jesus Christ. Now, that's according to the theory, which is unbiblical. And we're going to study passages. We've already studied passages, but we're going to study even more. Remember, inclusivity with the word Kai. And so we see concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, this word together is episunagage, which is a collection or assembly, not a social club. Not a social club in any way, shape, or form. If you're in a fellowship where the church is treated like a social club, that's a big red flag. Not good. Church, you know, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Episunagage, the ecclesia. It's very important to understand when we look at the word, the Greek word ecclesia, which is where we get the word church from, it's not a social club. What ecclesia is, it's an assembly and a gathering of those who are called of the Lord. A gathering of the hagios, saints. You see? 
And that's what Paul is writing here concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, remember, the dead are gathered first, then the living. We who are alive and survive. That's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Remember our study several weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Now, it's very important to remember that the saints of Thessalonica, they were on the hillside. You know, they, they, you know, last week in our study, we made the distinction of, you know, uh, Thessalonica proper and then Thessalonica boonies or outskirts because first Thessalonians, they were first Thessalonians proper. They lived inside the town and had, you know, they, they lived in the town. Second Thessalonians between first and there, there's a year gap between first and second Thessalonians. And what they did, they say, Hey, Jesus Christ is returning. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning, so let's go on head for the hills and let's wait for him. It's very important to remember that because the Lord says, Paul, write them a letter. And so Paul, understanding like, oh my goodness, the saints, they headed for the hills. They're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting for him to return. And so Paul says, listen, you guys, concerning that time, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Kai, and our gathering to, together to him, we ask you. He says in verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, which translates as not to be soon agitated or disturbed or shaken in mind or troubled, which is to be frightened and to wail even. And Paul says, not, like, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, because that's what happened to the saints in Thessalonica. They said, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is coming. Let's go ahead for the hills and wait for him to return. You see? And the Lord says, Paul, write them a letter. Write them again. And so Paul, in obedience to the Lord and in an abundance of love for the saints, says, hey, you guys, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled. He says, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. Now, that's very important. As if from us. Because remember, the saints who adhered themselves to the doctrine of imminency, which says that Jesus Christ, his return is imminent. Paul says, as if from us. See, I never taught you that. That's what he's saying. Yes, you have that doctrine. Yes, you think the return of Jesus is imminent. But I never taught you that. As if from us, he says, we never taught you that. You see, there's a reason why we stress the importance of formula. Formula, formula, formula. Remember, the formula must be right. Yes, in us. But also, don't forget, the formula, the formula must be right in the pastor, in the teachers, in the elders, in the ministry leaders, in the sanctuary. The formula must be right. Formula, 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 formula. You see? And then also make the distinction between milk and meat. Because a formula can be right in the sanctuary. And in a sanctuary, you're going to have meat eaters and you're going to have milk drinkers. Now, milk drinkers are beautiful, but... They better be babies. You see? They better be babies. You know, milk drinkers, somebody who's been a Christian for a couple months, they're milk drinkers. 
But if somebody's been a Christian for 10 years and they're still on milk, that's when you get into leaven material. You see, why is it that they're on milk? Now, it could be they're on milk because they're disobedient, but which is bad. Repent, you know, if, if we make these distinctions, you know, make these distinctions in a sanctuary, in a church, but make these distinctions for self, you see, because we can't have planks in the eye. You see, make these distinctions for self. So milk drinkers in a fellowship is beautiful, but they must be babies. And where you have milk drinkers where a Christian has been a Christian for 10 years and they're still on milk, that's when you get into leaven material. Now, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and then on up to 2 Thessalonians. Get yourself caught up because you learn and we study these things about maturing in Christ and growing and maturing in Christ, moving on to perfection, matriculating. This is something that the saints in Corinth, they didn't have. You know why? Because of the defunct teachers, defunct pastors, defunct elders. Where in the world were the pastors? You see, the formula wasn't right in the pastors. And so as a result, you have saints who don't know. And when saints don't know, they cannot move on from milk. They're on milk when they become believers and they stay on milk when they are believers. You see, and that's the problem with the defunct. I mean, you know, several reasons, many reasons, many problems. But sometimes a milk drinker is a milk drinker because of their own disobedience. But sometimes a person is a milk drinker because of the disobedience of the pastor, of the teacher. You see, because if the teacher teaches truth and you have the milk drinker, then the person's a milk drinker because of their own disobedience and hardness of heart. You see, but if a person's a milk drinker and because he or she just doesn't know because the pastor isn't teaching. Now, the milk drinker is in a bad situation, needs to repent and get right with Christ. But also, you know, who's in a worse situation? The pastor the teacher, because he has failed to teach, you see? And there's a stricter judgment for the pastors. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Very important to understand, we stress formula for a reason, because the formula must be right in every single believer. But then on top of that, in terms of uh, order in fellowships, the formula must be right in the pastor, in the elder, in the ministry leader, in the worship team, in the sanctuary. In the sanctuary, you're going to have the meat eaters and the milk drinkers. Milk drinkers are perfectly okay for babies, you see. And if everybody's a milk drinker, that's a huge problem because... I mean, when you listen to our study in 1 Corinthians, you'll understand more. Failing to mature and understand. And so what Paul is saying to these saints in Thessalonica, he's saying, listen, that's not from us. Remember verse 2, as you know, by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. Because remember, they had this doctrine of imminency and they said, Jesus Christ is returning at any time. Let's head for the hills and wait for him. The Lord says, Paul, write them a letter. 
because they were shaken in mind or troubled so much so that it instigated their desire to head for the hills and wait for Jesus. They were shaken in mind and troubled. And we see either by spirit or by word or by letter, because what was it that was spreading? What was it that was spreading in the saints, among the saints? It's this doctrine of imminency, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment. The rapture is going to happen at any moment. And so Paul says, that's not from us. I never said that. We never taught that. The doctrine of imminency, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that's not from us. Now, the teaching today, the teaching then was popular, but the teaching today is very popular. Very popular. It's taught everywhere. Many pastors, many seminaries, many theology schools, many Bible colleges, they teach on the doctrine of imminency in support of the pre-tribulation rapture theory. But it is only a theory. And when you look at the theory and you look at scripture, you see that the theory doesn't fit. You see? There's a reason why we say, Look at the formula. There's a reason why we say, be a Berean. Because when you look at the scriptures and you know the scriptures, you can hear any theory and realize, hey, that doesn't fit. You see? I mean, if I invite you over to dinner and I say, listen, I'm going to make you guys the best spaghetti ever. The best spaghetti you've ever had in your life. And, you know, your mouth is watering, you're at the table, and it's like, wow, you know, he's going to bring out this big plate of spaghetti. And then all of a sudden, I give you, like, cheese and crackers. And I say, hey, enjoy your spaghetti, guys. You know, that ain't spaghetti. Why do you know that's not spaghetti? The reason why is because you've had spaghetti before in the past. You might have cooked spaghetti before in the past. You know the sauce, the, the noodles, the whatever, the ingredients, you know, you know, and cheese and crackers, that ain't it. Now, I can call it spaghetti. I can call it spaghetti till I'm blue in the face. But you know, that ain't spaghetti. That's a piece of cheese and that's a cracker. Even though I'm calling it spaghetti. And you know, because in the same manner, you're a Brian when it comes to spaghetti. And that's why we say you must be a Berean. We study the scriptures verse by verse, line upon line. And you know the truth of God's holy word when you're a Berean. And then at the same time, you can listen to any, any message about whatever theory, about whatever topical message about this, that, this, that. The preacher guy says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And what he's doing is he's presenting you cheese and crackers. But it's not spaghetti. You see? And people say, wow, this is the greatest spaghetti, and they're eating cheese and crackers. Wow, this is the best spaghetti ever, and they're eating cheese, cheese and crackers, and they call it spaghetti. And you, you hear that, and you're like, wait a second, that, that's cheese and crackers. They're eating it, and they're calling it spaghetti. You see? Because they're not Bereans. Because they're not Bereans. I'm not called to teach the dead. I'm called to teach the living. 
And when you're a Berean, a preacher guy can say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You're just like, what? You're crazy. A preacher guy will say, hey, guys, we're going to go lay on the graves and soak up the, the spirit of the dead people. You say, what? You're crazy. A person could say, look, God is all done with the, the, the uh, Israel. He's all finished with Israel. Now the promises of God go to the church. Replacement theology. You say, what? You're crazy. You're crazy, you see? Because you're a Berean. You know truth. Somebody can say, listen, I, you know, I'm going to present you with spaghetti and give you cheese and crackers, but you know, that ain't spaghetti. They can say it all they want. This is spaghetti. This is spaghetti. This is spaghetti. You see the cheese. You see the cracker. No matter what they say, that is not spaghetti. It's cheese. It's crackers. And the only way you'll know is when you know what the real is. When you're a Berean. You see? With a noble heart. Because remember, the Bereans search the scriptures, which is good. But remember, Jesus Christ, when he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think there's eternal life. It's like, wait a second, the Bereans search the scriptures, and the Pharisees search the scriptures, but for the Bereans it's good, and the Pharisees it's bad? Now we look at the heart. The noble heart. Where is the noble heart? Because the noble heart is likened to fertile soil. Where the seed has fertile ground. You see? This doctrine of imminency, it spread like wildfire in Thessalonica. Causing great harm. But the fire hasn't been put out. Because it's spreading today, the doctrine of imminency, very, very popular. It's taught everywhere. It's taught in churches. It's taught, taught by pastors. It's taught in seminary. It's taught in theology school. It's taught in universities. Higher learning, they call it. Paul says, that's not from us. That's not from us. Because remember, they had the head for the hills mentality, Thessalonian saints. Thessalonian saints. He says in verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. You see, the pre-tribulation rapture teachers of today, pastors, professors, elders, ministry leaders, the pre-trib teachers of today, are proving themselves, proving themselves, self-inflicted, proving themselves as incapable of discernment and incapable of testing the spirits. They're proving themselves because the spirit of the Lord guides in truth. Why follow such teachers? I know that's a hardcore statement, but we are living in the last days. I meant 20 years ago, not to suggest that it's permissible in any way, shape, or form. 50 years ago, still not permissible. But in these last days, as these false doctrines are being exposed, I mean, they were already exposed. A hundred years ago. 
200 years ago. They were already exposed 20 years ago. But even more so in these last days, you and me, we must have a profound, profound, profound love of the truth of God's holy word, even when it hurts. Because following such teachers can be deadly in this life and the life to come. I mean, you have pastors today, a large portion in the Calvinist and Reformed camp. You have pastors today who are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. But you have pastors today saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because they lean on their false doctrine of once saved, always saved. You see, and leaning on that false doctrine, among other things, among other reasons. I mean, remember, you know, we have, you know, when G- when, when Paul says, said that uh, uh, to the saints in Corinth, he says, "You, I fear for you because these people, these preacher guys are going to come in with a different spirit, a different gospel and a different Jesus. And you might well put up with it. Remember? You might well put up with it. And the saints in Corinth, they did put up with it to a certain degree. Same with the saints in Galatia. They did put up with false doctrine, a return to the law in the sake of Galatia, the Galatian saints. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. If righteousness came through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. That's what Paul says. Jesus Christ did not die in vain. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, which is why hear us say, get in the ark. Jesus Christ is the ark of our time. If you're listening and you're not a believer or you're playing games with the Lord, you're lukewarm. I say unto you, come out of her, my people. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And you come back, you listen, we grow together. And we have this deeper understanding. But understand that the pre-trib teachers of today, self-inflicted, they are proving themselves to be incapable of biblical discernment and incapable of testing the spirits. My question unto you, point blank. Why follow them? Why follow them? Remember verse 2, Paul says, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. We never taught you that. I know these other guys, they're teaching it. This guy over here, he's teaching it. This guy over here, he's teaching it. Over here, they're teaching it and it's spreading in the Thessalonican camp like wildfire. I know they teach it, but that's not from us. I never taught that. Sylvanus never taught that. Little Timmy, he never taught it. That's not from us. It's from them. And who are they? They might want to be vessels of the Lord. They might want to be teachers. They might want to be pastors. They might want to be workers. But look at the formula. Analyze the formula. You see? He says, as if from us, as though the day 
of Christ had come. Now, this word in the Greek, number one, Paul says that's not from us. Regarding, you know, that, that, that you know, don't, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. This word in the Greek is anistemi, anistemi, which translates as it's impending, which also translates as is imminent. You see, Paul is acknowledging that the teaching is out there. Absolutely. He understands that this teaching of imminency, it's out there. And he understands and sees that the saints responded to it and headed for the hills to wait for Jesus. But Paul says, listen, no. That teaching is not from us. You see? In verse 2, not to be soon shaken, agitated, or disturbed in mind, or troubled, or frightened, or to wail. Don't be soon shaken in mind, or troubled, either by spirit, or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, or anistemi, as though the day of Christ is impending, or anistemi, as though the day of Christ is imminent. Whoa. That's not from us, Paul is saying. Remember in in the sake of the Corinthian saints? You have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father, he's speaking of himself. You have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. So let's put that in perspective. So you take Paul and the 10,000 teachers that he references. So you do a little math, 10,001. Out of 10,001, who is it safe to listen to? Paul. And it's not to deify Paul in any way, shape, or form, but it's to understand that he's a vessel that the Lord is using. And he says of himself, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's what Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Out of 10,001 teachers, there's safety in one. They can all say, follow me as I follow Christ. But in some cases, you follow that guy, you're going to burn in hell. But in the case of Paul, you follow that guy, you'll be in paradise. You see? Remember, he says, by spirit, by word, by letter. These teachers, these teachers, so-called teachers, were the, the doctrine that was spreading like wildfire, the doctrine of imminency, the doctrine that of imminency that caused the saints in Thessalonica to head for the hills. Paul says, remember, by spirit, by word, or by letter. Now my question is this, by what spirit do they teach? When Paul's saying, that's not from us, we never taught you that. 
Remember, anestemi in the Greek. As though the day of Christ, in verse 2, as though the day of Christ had come, as though the day of Christ, anestemi, as though the day of Christ is impending, as though the day of Christ is imminent. You see, and teachers today are teaching the doctrine of imminency like crazy. Nobody put out the wildfire back then. I mean, Paul did in Thessalonica, but it still spread. It still spread. And it's spreading today. Bringing much harm. Much harm in this life and in the life to come. In verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. I'm going to read that again. Let no one deceive you by any means. I'll read it yet a third time. Let no one, let no one deceive you by any means. Oh, but he's got 3,000 people in his church. That's nice. 3,000 people are in danger. But he's got his study Bible. That's nice. He says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. But he says, follow me as I follow Christ. You follow him, you take the mark of the beast and heed that counsel. That's hellfire damnation. You will burn in hell straight up. You take the mark of the beast, you will burn in hell. Oh, but he's got his study Bible. He says, it's okay. That's nice. Who is he? Just like Paul, that's not from us. I never told you that. He can say whatever he wants, but I never told you that. Let no one deceive you by any means. He says in verse 3, for that day, remember verse 1, the coming of the Lord Jesus, Kai, our gathering. Remember, inclusivity. For that day will not come. Unless, now, Paul, a vessel of Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name. Now, remember, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what's the sign of your coming? He says there's going to be many false teachers and there's going to be many Christs. You see, Jesus Christ, the real Messiah, the real Christ. He says there will be many Christs. You see? The waters are, the waters are going to be muddied in the last days. And the waters are muddied in the last days. So who's the real Jesus? When there's, picture a lineup of 1,000 Christs. Oh, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. Absolutely. 100% it's idolatry. With all of them, except for one. Absolutely, it's idolatry. Oh, what, you know, a lineup of a million Christ. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Absolutely, one hundred percent, it's idolatry. With one million, except for one, or it is not idolatry. How do we know? How do we? How do we know? 
as the Bible teaches, as the Bible says, and the Word became flesh. His Word is above His name. You see? A spirit of Satan. Remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. And he has his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Remember our study through 2 Corinthians? They present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They got the degrees. They got the special clothing. They got the special cloth. They got this. That's nice. Is what they teach, does it align with the word of God? With the servants of Satan? No. But they'll come close. They say, okay, we're going to have spaghetti. And they give you a plate of spaghetti. You say, okay, that's spaghetti. But what you don't know is they sprinkled some arsenic in it. You see? I mean, you know, comparing spaghetti and cheese and crackers, that's easy. I mean, that's like a, a, a Berean 101. That's like, you know, being a, a very basic Berean. You know, somebody says, here's your spaghetti and cheese and crackers. You say, okay, that's, that's not spaghetti, so I'm not taking it. But what about when it looks like spaghetti? It smells like spaghetti. It even tastes like spaghetti. They got all the right ingredients. But they also sprinkled some arsenic. You say, wow, this is the greatest spaghetti I've ever had. Boom, say goodnight, you're dead. Because there was arsenic in the spaghetti. Brother Paul says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the vessel Paul, vessel of the Lord, a vessel of Jesus, Whose word is above his name. Oh, but there's a thousand Christ. There's a million Christ. In the last days, there will be many Christ, as Jesus said there would be. And today, there is many, many Christ. There are many, many Christ. Oh, idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. 100% idolatry. Except with one. The one whose word is above his name. A servant of Satan says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's a fake Jesus. That's a false Christ. Do not follow. There's arsenic in that spaghetti. You will die if you eat that spaghetti. Oh, but he's got his study Bible. He says, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's nice. That's 100% a servant of Satan. 100% a servant of Satan. Because the Bible, the word of God, says never take the mark of the beast. Because if you do, you will burn in hell. And this guy says it's okay. That's a wolf. Presenting himself as a shepherd. You say, oh, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Listen, he knows. The vessel of Jesus, Paul, who's 
vessel of Jesus whose word is above his name. This vessel, Paul, he gives prerequisites. Remember in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. Now, we have to remember. Verse 1 is the coming of Jesus, Kai, our gathering, inclusivity. Remember, he's, this letter is written to saints who were under the doctrine of imminency, the imminent return of Jesus. And yes, Paul acknowledges, yes, I know that teaching is out there, but I never told you that, he's saying. That's not from us. We never told you that. Little Timmy never told you that. Sylvanus never told you that. Titus never told you that. Priscilla, Aquila, they never told you that. Chloe, she never told you that. You see, that's not from us. And these prerequisites that the Lord gives through his vessel, Paul, he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day in verse three will not come unless the falling away comes first. Unless the falling away comes first. This falling away is apostasia, which is a defection away from truth. You see, a defection away from truth, which is why we say that we all must have a deep, 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 profound love of truth, even when it hurts. Love of the truth of God's holy word, the good, the bad, the ugly. You say, oh, the word of God is beautiful. How can it be ugly? Have you read the word of God? There's a lot of, a lot of ugly passages in the word of God. You see, there's a lot of bad in the word of God because the Lord teaches us by example what he does in what he does to disobedience, what he does to wickedness, how he responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Four categories of the last day's church. The last day's church is either false. It is apostate. It is entering apostasy or it is true. Now, very generous that we do an even distribution. I mean, if that's four categories of last day's church. If it's an even distribution, that means that the true church is 25%. But it's more closer to 10%. I mean, when you look at the prophecies. I mean, you could look at other prophecies and say, like, okay, this is it's much lower than 10%. These are things that the last day's generation will witness, will see for themselves, will learn in an immersion kind of way about remnant, refinement through fire. Paul acknowledges a vessel of the Lord acknowledges that, yes, there's this teaching out there, this doctrine of imminency, but that's not from us. And to set the saints on the right path, saying, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. Remember, we must make not the separation of, you know, the return of Jesus and then a separate event is the gathering of the saints. No, it's kai. Kai, K-A-I in the Greek, which is inclusivity. 
He says, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, which is apostasia, a defection away from truth. A defection away from truth. Now, look at what's happening today. I say churches, but let's look at Christians. Let's boil it down even further and look at Christians. An individual Christian. Do you know Christians where 10 years ago they were on fire for the Lord? Now they're straight up crazy. Do you know Christians who 20 years ago they were on fire for the Lord and now they're just straight up crazy? Do you know Christians who five years ago they were on fire for the Lord and now they're straight up crazy? How about Christians who one year ago were on fire for the Lord and now today they are straight up crazy? Remember the four categories of the last day's church. False, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. Now there's a new trend arising among apostate pastors. Apostate pastors who I say unto you, do not heed nor follow them. But to support the lie of the pre-tribulation rapture, To support the lie, they're calling apostasia, they're calling that the rapture. And they're also referencing the 1599 Geneva Bible while forgetting the horrors and atrocities of Geneva. The 1599 Geneva Bible took two years to translate and 40 years to add corrupted commentary. And the apostate pastors are using that to support their theory of a pre-tribulation rapture. Calling the apostasia, calling that the rapture of the church. Continuing to say that the return of Jesus is imminent, the rapture of the church, it's imminent, it's imminent, it's imminent. That's nice. What does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? What does the real Jesus say whose word is above his name? I mean, you take a lineup of, we'll say fewer. We'll take a lineup of a hundred Christs. All of them lowercase c except for one. A lineup of a hundred Christs. In every single one of them, except for one, is found idolatry. Oh, but I'm abiding in Christ. I'm abiding in Christ. Well, what does your Christ say? Does your Christ say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? Does your Christ say, let's go grave soaking? Does your Christ say that God is done with Israel? Because if so, that's another Christ. Do not abide in that Christ. Because if you abide in that Christ, you're not abiding in the real Christ. And the only safety that you or I have is in the real Jesus. You see? And yet these teachers of, these apostate teachers... Apostate teachers 
They say, oh, the apostasia. That's the rapture. Now, where do you find the word apostasia translate as rapture? Nowhere. Oh, but it's in the Geneva Bible, the 1509 Geneva Bible. Oh, you mean the one that's predominantly predominantly commentary? And you look at the fruit of Geneva? The horrors and atrocities of Geneva? You talking about that Bible? Don't forget, it's just... When you look at the original text, I'm not talking about 1599. I'm not talking Tyndale. I'm not talking King James. I'm talking Hebrew. I'm talking Greek. The original manuscripts. You see? Oh, but I read the message. Okay. You're in trouble. You see? Paul says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Again, these apostate pastors. I call them apostate pastors. But when you look closer, you'll see the hireling. But you might find wolves too. Servants of Satan. Oh, you're too hardcore. You need to be more merciful. Listen. Brother James says, let not many be teachers for a reason. Let not many be teachers. If they don't know, then he shouldn't be a pastor. If he doesn't know, he shouldn't be a pastor. By what spirit does he teach? By what spirit does he say such things? By what spirit do such teachers even... Where do they exercise... What gives them the authority to say things which comes against the real Jesus whose word is above his name? Oh, but he's got his study Bible. Look, I can take the mark. Let's forget what the Bible says and let me listen to what he says. I'll go ahead and take the mark of the beast because he says that I'll be saved. You see, it's a trap. Again, they're proving themselves to be unfaithful shepherds. Do not follow them. The falling away comes first and the falling away has already begun. Look around. I mean, we can look at churches, but let's boil it down even further. Let's look at Christians. And I posed the question earlier. Do you know Christians who one year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they were on fire for the Lord. And now they are straight up crazy. We're witnessing apostasia in real time. And it's going to get much worse. And the return of Jesus and our gathering, the return of Jesus, Kai, our gathering, will not come. Remember, the living will by no means precede the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The living will by no means precede the dead. Remember when Jesus Christ rose in the disciples they were like oh my goodness you know he's going he's leaving he's leaving he's leaving he goes up on the cloud and he's ascending and then the angels are like why why do you marvel 
Why do you marvel? Because this same Jesus is going to return the same way on the cloud. Just like he told you. Just like he told you. You see? And remember, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, Kai, our gathering, and when he comes, the dead will rise first and then we who are alive and survive. Most translations say we who are alive and remain. But when you look at manuscripts, when you look at Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, you see we who are alive and survive. You see, most translations say we who are alive and remain. But the translations say we who are alive and remain as survivors. Why survivors? Because it's going to be straight up hell on earth. Literally hell on earth. Because Satan knows his time is short. see that day in verse 3 will not come unless the falling away comes first next up now we see and the man of sin is revealed you see and you have pre-tribulation rapture people today teachers pastors elders ministry leaders uh, uh, seminaries uh, professors Theology schools, they say, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. And they say that because what they do is they adhere to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And just like Paul says, that's not from us. I never taught that. We never taught that. That's not from us. I know the doctrine is spreading like wildfire, but I know they say this and they say that. That's nice. We never told you that. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. And they willfully forget that that day will not come unless, see the prerequisites for the return of Jesus, Kai, our gathering together to him. Of which Paul says, let no one deceive you by any means. So we have the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, which is the Antichrist, the son of perdition or the son of destruction, the son of damnation, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is related to God or that is worshipped. Why does he do that? We see so that he sits as God or in the manner of God. This is the Antichrist pretending to be God. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Now today, there is not a third temple. But today, the third temple is prefabricated. Today, there are major, major initiatives and efforts for a red heifer. You have the religious Jews in accordance to the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but blindness unto Israel that is is uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles, and then the scales are going to fall from the eyes of Israel. Listen to our study through Romans 11. You'll understand more. Juxtapose that with our studies through Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand more. Or if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Zechariah. The third temple is 
prefabricated today. The elements, the vessels. Major third temple initiatives. Major. Bioengineering, a red heifer. I mean, they already had qualified red heifers. But then they were waiting and, you know, a certain period of time. It has to be under a certain age. Looking for blemishes, they found a blemish. But the push and the efforts for a red heifer, Jews, in accordance to law, I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance to law, they're going, talking to farmers across the world. It's a global effort around the world saying, listen, these are our qualifications for red heifer. And if you kind of like handing out a business card, if you have a red heifer that is born, if, if one of your, you know, a heifer gives birth to a, a, a you know, a, a little cow that, you know, is, is red and, you know, and you know, you don't see any blemishes. Here's my card. Give me a call. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what's happening all over the world. And so there's bioengineering efforts. And then there's also efforts just going to all the farmers around the world. You get a red heifer, here's my card. Give me a call. Preparations for building the third temple. Funding already underway. Like a, a crowdfunding, so to speak. For the third temple. It's happening today. Not This isn't like a future event, like, you know, 10 years from now, this could happen. No, it's happening today. And so when the temple is rebuilt, this world leader who enters peaceably, remember our prior studies in 1 Thessalonians, who enters peaceably. We looked at the prophecies in Daniel. The third temple is built. And that he sits in the temple, it says in verse 4, he sits in the temple of, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing or exhibiting himself that he is God. Whoa. Whoa. The great pretender. He comes in peaceably. And that's when the Jews are going to realize that is blasphemy. When he sits in the temple, you know, they're going to think that he's the Messiah. To my Jewish friends, I love you. In me, I have to stress this. To my Jewish friends, in me, you have a friend. I know there's plenty reason for, if you're Jewish, I know there's plenty reason for you to be cautious with Christians. I mean, you just look at the history books. A lot of Christians are straight up crazy. Because, you know, they teach replacement theology to say God is done with Israel. That's not me. A lot of Christians, you see the rise of anti-Semitism in the world, but you also see in the church BDS in the church. I say the church, but I should more aptly say that Laodicean church. These are people where Jesus is on the outside, Laodicea. If you're Jewish, I love you. Not two messiahs in each coming. One messiah, two comings. Because there's going to be a world leader who will be seen as the messiah. 
And what's going to happen? Sitting in the temple, rebuilt temple, the third temple, proclaiming to be God. And when he proclaims to be God, that's when the Jews are going to realize, in accordance to the law, that is blasphemy. And then that's when it's, that's the beginning of hell on earth, the abomination of desolation. That's the beginning of hell on earth. Because this so-called Messiah, lowercase m, will be revealed as the Antichrist. And he's going to kill Jews and he's going to kill Christians. Look at the prophecies. The Lord is going to provide safe haven for Jews. But across the globe, Jews and Christians will be in the crosshairs of the Antichrist, son of perdition. The last three and a half years of world history. And that's what's going to happen when he sits in the temple of God. Exhibiting, showing himself that he is God. And the, the world, they're going to worship him. You know, this Antichrist, he will have power. And he will perform signs and wonders. But the power is in accordance to Satan. The world is going to adore him. The world is going to worship him. Turn to Revelation chapter 13 really quick. In Revelation 13, verse 7, it was granted to him, this is the Antichrist, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was an authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. See, this rise of anti-Semitism that we see in the world today, this rise of anti-Jew and anti-Christian, it's all in accordance to the spirit of Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist will find his host. He will find his host. And that's the son of perdition. And the world today is in accordance to the spirit of Antichrist. They're worshiping Satan. And when he finds his host, they're going to worship the Antichrist. Just as we see here in verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. You know who doesn't worship him? Jews and Christians. Because when he proclaims to be God, the Jews, oh, that's blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. But the world is going to say, no, he is God. And so the world's going to be on board. The world is going to be on board with the Antichrist. In other words, on board with Satan. And you see both Jew and Christian in the crosshairs of Satan. And they will prevail against the saints. It's very important to understand the prophecies because in verse 8 here in Revelation 13, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Names that are outside of the book of life. You see, the world is going to worship him. The Antichrist. We have to understand what is ahead of us. Oh, but we're going to be raptured. We're going to be raptured. Why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? Look at the history books. 
You don't even need the history books. Look at the suffering that is happening right now. Where the cost of being a Christian is deadly. Christians beheaded, raped, maimed. Crucified. Happening today. Oh, but the rapture be happens before the 70th week of Daniel be happens before the seven years. That's nice. I know what the theory says. I know what the theory teaches. But just like Paul says, that's not from us. Paul said, we never said that. As though the day of Christ had come in verse 2. As, the, as though the day of Christ in estemi. As though the day of Christ is imminent. The doctrine of imminency is a lie. I know what the theory says. And people create the doctrine of imminency to support a theory. But the whole entire theory doesn't even hold water when measured with scripture. You see? Because... The Lord gives prerequisites. In verse 3, that day's not coming. Unless. And then the prerequisites. The falling away comes first. And the the, the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. And yet people say, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. They're deceived. Oh, but my pastor says it all the time. He's deceived. And if he's not deceived, he shouldn't be a teacher. If he's not deceived, then that opens another door. By what spirit does he teach? Is he a wolf? Is he a servant of Satan? Does he know exactly what he's doing, what he's teaching? Because a servant of Satan, remember, 2 Thessalonians or 2 Corinthians, servants of Satan. They present themselves as servants of righteousness, which means they will have the degrees on the wall. They will have the masters of divinity, the doctorate in theology, the the bachelors in theology. They will have the degree in seminary, Bible college. They will have the look. They will dress with the garb and the robes and all this. They'll have this appearance of holiness, but they know exactly who they are. They serve their father, the devil. Why? To drag you to hell. I'm just a messenger. Just like Paul says, we never, as if from us, he says in verse two, we never told you that. Titus never told you that. Timothy never told you that. Chloe never said anything about that. Priscilla, Aquila, they never said anything about that. They never taught that. You know why? Because the spirit of the Lord aligns with the word of the Lord. You see? The spirit of the Lord aligns with the word of the Lord. And so we see here in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? You see that? It breaks my heart because they forgot. They knew, except they forgot. Do you not remember that I was with, when I was still with you? I told you these things. 
I mean, put yourself in Paul's sandals for a moment. You're with these beautiful saints. You pour into these beautiful, beautiful saints. Yes, in obedience to the Lord, but in so doing, you've fallen in love with these beautiful saints. And you pour into them, you teach them. And then you find out that, you know, they headed for the hills and they're waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, you're in Paul's sandals. What does that show you? That shows you that either they forgot or they're putting up with the false teacher. You see? And very shortly, we're going to get into the pastoral epistles. Now, we're going to touch on this more. Biblical qualifications for pastors. Biblical qualifications for overseers in the church. And what happened to these saints in Thessalonica who were under the spell of the doctrine of imminency, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which is unbiblical. I mean, the end of verse 2, as, as though the day of Christ had come, as though the day of Christ enistemi, as though the day of Christ is impending or imminent. And Paul says in verse 5, do you not remember? I mean, we're going to see that in the Old Testament. I mean, even in Deuteronomy, how many times did Moses say to the children of Israel, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. What happens? They forgot. And the Lord responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The saints in Thessalonica, let's head for the hills where it's nice and safe. Let's wait for Jesus. His return is imminent. And Paul says, we never taught you that. You see, there is a wisdom of this world which seems right, but it isn't. Now, a wisdom of the world that is married with false doctrine and false teachers, it's not only dangerous, but it's deadly in this life and the life to come. Now, forward-looking, here's what should be seen among pastors and teachers of the pre-tribulation rapture lie. What should be seen is humility, repentance, and correction. Where you should see these pastors say, Listen, guys, I was wrong in teaching this. I repented. I sought the Lord. You know, I sought his forgiveness and I seek your forgiveness and we're not teaching this anymore. We're going to align with the word of God now. That's what should be seen among pastors and teachers of the pre-tribulation rapture lie. But you know what is likely to be seen? Pride, arrogance, and entrenchment in false doctrine. You see? That is what is most likely to be seen. Pride, arrogance, and entrenchment in false doctrine. Because there's a lot of money to be made in the pre-tribulation rapture theory. A lot of money to be made. 
People write their books. People make their movies. They teach about it, teach about it, and they make the movies. They have the books and fiction, nonfiction. They call it nonfiction, but it's all fiction. Fiction. Oh, this is what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. And look, let's make this. Let's. Oh, but you know, you you'll be saved from that because before all this mess happens in the world, you'll be saved. And listen, I'll give you the I'll give you the special secrets for what you got to do. And for nineteen ninety nine. For $19.99, if you just send in your love gift and we'll send you this lot of money to be made. The hirelings are being exposed. That means so-called teachers and ministries and pastors who make millions off the pre-tribulation rapture theory. That means they're millions if they align with the truth of God's holy word, that means their millions are going to be zero. No more, no more money off these books. No more money off the movies. That means they're going to have to forego the riches of the world. Will they? Look for humility, look for repentance, and look for correction. If you're listening and you've like never heard this before and you're wondering like, oh my goodness, my pastor's never taught me this, give these messages to your pastor. Say, hey, pastor, listen to this. Listen to this guy. And then observe. Because you should see among the pastors, you should see humility, repentance, and correction. And where you see the pastor digging his heels in the pride and arrogance and entrenchment in false doctrine, you'll know what's being exposed. You'll know exactly what's being exposed because these teachers of today, the pre-tribulation rapture theory, again we say, they're proving themselves to be incapable of biblical discernment. And not just that incapable of testing the spirits. And we haven't even gotten started in the events of the last days. This is nothing. We're like not even in walk in the park phase. We're like galloping through the lily fields. This is absolutely nothing. It's going to get a million times or a trillion times worse. We haven't even gotten started. We're like in the very, you know, like, you know, uh, playing with flowers phase right now. And already these things, already lamps are going out. Already the apostasy is setting in. Already you're having the apostate teachers say, oh, we're not waiting for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for the Christ. Already you're having, in support of the lie, a calling apostasia, the rapture. Referencing a, a 1599 Geneva Bible. Oh, look, this is a good Bible because it's old school. That's nice. It's still commentary. Look at Geneva. Look at Geneva. Where they killed Christians. Where Christians were beheaded. Christians were tortured and burned, burned at the stake in Geneva. You see? That's the fruit of the Geneva, 1599 Geneva Bible. The fruit is death. Look at the history books. Look at the history books. 
You see? We understand these things. We we study and we understand and we teach and it's going to get much, much, much worse. I mean, the state of the church, it's bad. But the state of theater, so to speak, this is nothing. This is nothing. And it's already bad. Think about how much worse it's going to be. You see? And so Paul says in verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I told you. And he says, and now you know what is restraining. Now, we see that the biblical qualifiers, remember in verse 3, that day will not come unless. And you see the biblical qualifiers. One of them being the falling away comes first. The next one being the son of man is revealed. The son of sin is revealed. The son of perdition And Paul says, now you know what is restraining. So we have these biblical qualifiers of what is restraining, but there's more. There is more. Verse 6, and now you know what is restraining, that he, speaking of the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time or in his proper time or season. For the mystery in verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness or wickedness is already at work translates in the Greek, is already active at this time. Remember, this is 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And it's already at work. I mean, look at what it's done to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian saints. Look at what it's done to them. They headed for the hills, the doctrine of imminency. It already had a hold on them. Paul says, That's not us. We never taught that. We never told you that. Verse 5, he says, don't you remember? I told you these things. And verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness or wickedness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, remember this was written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Or he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of their midst. Now, who is this he? Who is this restrainer? People say it's the church. Is it the church? Is it the church? And people say it's the church because they say, well, the church has to be, the, 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 the church can't be here because the church is the only ones who can identify the Antichrist and so the church can't be here. But remember, the living will by no means precede the dead. Look at the church today. Look at the church today. I'm going to ask you a question, kind of hardcore, but poignant. When you look at the church today, do you really think Satan is scared? People say it's got to be the church because we're the only ones who can identify the Antichrist. They can't even identify truth. They can't even identify the lie. 
To call the restrainer the church, it supports a theory of a pre-tribulation rapture. But the theory itself is not supported by scripture. Another thing. He who now restrains? Male. The church, the bride, female. So who is this restrainer? Who is this he who now restrains? People say it's Michael the Archangel. It's Michael the Archangel. Biblically, Michael is very busy and active in the last days. Revelation 12 verse 7, Daniel 12 verse 1. People say, oh, that's Jacob's trouble. Well, listen to our study. You know, Jacob's trouble biblically explained. You'll understand more. But if verse 7 says, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. But then you see in, in Revelation 12 verse 7, Daniel 12 verse 1, you say, wait a second, Michael's pretty busy. And if it's Michael, he shouldn't be here. It's not Michael. Some pastors are even starting to say that Michael is Jesus. Because they don't want to let go of their theory. They're so entrenched in their theory of the pre-tribulation rapture. They're so entrenched of their theory. You see? But remember where verse 2 says, As though the day of Christ... Anestemi, as though the day of Christ is impending or is imminent. You see, the teaching is out there, the doctrine of imminency. But it is unbiblical. It is a lie. There are the prerequisites. The falling away first, the son of the, the son of perdition is revealed, the Antichrist, he's revealed. And then at the same time, there's more. There are biblical qualifiers, which is restraining, but there's more. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So is it Michael the archangel? No, it isn't. Michael's pretty busy in the last days. He is not taken out of the way. In verse 7, Paul says, He who now restrains 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Who restrained 2,000 years ago and is still still restraining today? Turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John 16 verse 7. The Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 7, John 16 verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, this is the Paracletus, this is the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict, convict, convict. You see, conviction is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing, painful at times, sometimes intensely painful. But the conviction of the Spirit is a beautiful thing. Because remember, He's the helper. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing. 
which is to confute, admonish, convict, convince, tell a fault, reprove, or rebuke. And it's not just for Christians. Because in verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world. You see? There's, I mean, when I was a non-believer, I felt the conviction. As a believer, I feel the conviction. You see? That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin. Because they do not believe in me. You see? And I'll say, yet. For this particular junction in time, yet. Because if you do not believe in Jesus, I say unto you, cut it out. Be unbelieving no more. Jesus Christ is the one who says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. We're living in the last days. Prophecies are being fulfilled left and right. Look at the world that's going crazy. Fulfilled prophecy right there. Crazy town. Look at the Euphrates River. Drying. Fulfilled prophecy right there. Look at the third temple being prefabricated, funding underway, the red heifer underway. Boom, fulfilled prophecy right there. There's more. But Jesus Christ says, I tell you these things before they happen so that you might believe. And if you're unbelieving today, cut it out. Believe. I've tasted of the world and it's nasty. I've tasted of the Lord, and I tell you the truth, the Lord is good. And I have seen that He is good. You hit pause, you listen to the message of how to commit your life to Christ. You're playing games with the Lord. You say you believe, but you don't obey. You hit pause, you listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. No more playing games. We're living in the last days. No more wishy-washy, wishy-washy, wishy-washy days and ways done. History. You walk with Christ. These days are evil and it's going to get worse. We see in verse 9 of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. You see how faith can grow? How faith can grow? Because Jesus ascended into heaven, riding on the cloud. He's going to come back on the cloud. But you see, faith is required. You see? In verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And judgment is sure to come, which is why we say, get in the ark. Get in the ark. Come to Christ. And Jesus says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, speaking of the helper, the Holy Spirit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. You see, the Holy Spirit leads to Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name. Not the fake. The spirit of Satan will lead to the fake. You want to go grave soaking? 
and soak in the grave of, soak in the spirit of dead people? That's evil. That's demonic. Necromancy. An abomination before the Lord. Oh, but the pastor says I can do it. That's nice. He's a servant of Satan. Okay, so it's not safe here. I'll go to this other church. The, the pastor has his study Bible. He says I can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. That's nice. Servant of Satan. You see? Because the real spirit of the Lord, the Paracletus, the helper, the one that the Lord is speaking of, he leads to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads to Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh. The Holy Spirit leads to truth. False doctrine never aligns with truth. Propagators of false doctrine, by what spirit do they speak? By what spirit do they teach? Oh, they're just unlearned. Well, that's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Because where you see false doctrine, other dangers are being exposed. You see the hireling? But you might also see the wolf. You might also see the servant of Satan. You see? Speaking of this Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 13, He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You see? Real time. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It's very important to understand this ministry of the Holy Spirit that he goes into the world. In verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. In verse 8, that he will convict the world, convict the world, convict the world. Now we see, we go back to, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, we see in verse 6 that there's already restraining, which is those prerequisites. Remember, you know, uh, the, the, the falling away comes first, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. But then we see that in verse 7, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, he who now restrains, that this letter was written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. So who is restraining then? Who was restraining then? I mean, you see restraining aspects of the church. But are they this reference restrainer? You look at the biblical qualifiers? No. You see restraining aspects of Michael the archangel? But is he the reference restrainer? No. Who restrained 2,000 years ago and is still restraining today? The Holy Spirit who convicts the world. 
But when you look at the prophecies and you see the world just straight up going to hell, like literally being dragged to hell, you see the fruit of the flesh. And it's like, wow, I can't, you read the book of Revelation, you read prophecies and you're like, wow, where's the conviction of the spirit? Look, all these things are happening. Where's the conviction of the spirit? It's almost like he's lifted. It's almost like he's taken out of the way. And then we remember these verses. He is taken out of the way. Oh, but all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Hold the phone, my friend. Not all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Listen to our study through Acts 8. Because remember, Philip the Evangelist, beautiful, beautiful man. People come to Christ, they become Christians. Peter and John come to town and they see that the Spirit had not fallen on them. And when they lay hands, they receive the Holy Spirit except for one. So now you have a picture of believers, a congregation of believers who do not have the Holy Spirit. And then they receive the Holy Spirit except for one. Why? Wickedness. Do all Christians have the Holy Spirit? No. Some Christians are just religious But all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. On top of that, saints are warned. Do not quench the Spirit, which translates as do not extinguish the Spirit. And this will happen exponentially in the last days among believers. Why? Because they will run out of oil. They will run out of oil for their lamps as prophesied among the foolish virgins. To give an example. To give an example, say we have communication with Jesus on a landline, you know, like a phone call. We have communication with Jesus on a landline, you know, like a a phone call to Jesus. Just for example. One day this line will be cut. And when that line is cut, the world will decline rapidly. So how do we communicate with Jesus? Well, who has a cell phone? You see, no landline, but who has a cell phone? Christians, the saints, the remnant. Now, There's something else. Who has batteries for their cell phone? You see? Fools will die. The foolish virgins will die where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the wise will have real-time communication. Why? Because they've stored their oil, which is why you hear us say, store your oil. You see, false doctrine very often must say that the restrainer is anyone other than the Holy Spirit. 
In some cases, false doctrine has to say that to support their false doctrine. I'll give you an example. Because Calvinist and Reformed theory, they say that the Holy Spirit makes people Christians. Oh, you can't be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. Which today is, I mean, it's, it's still a false doctrine, but it's not easily seen. It's like arsenic in the spaghetti. You're going to eat the spaghetti. It tastes like spaghetti and it tastes delicious like spaghetti. They got the right ingredients, got the, the noodles, the pasta, the, the sauce, everything. Big old meatballs and it, it's delicious. Five minutes later, dead. Why? Arsenic. But these things will be exposed. Because the Calvinist and Reformed theory people, they say that the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. But when you put these together and you couple the pre-trib rapture theory and, you know, you, you say the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, well, how can people become Christians if there's no Holy Spirit? How does that explain the saints in Revelation? Therefore, Calvinism, Reformed theory, doesn't hold water. You see? And because they have to admit that, it's, it's crystal clear. Because they have to admit that, they say, well, the restrainer is the church, which opens the door for other things. They have to say, oh, the restrainer is Michael, which opens the door for other things. It's unexplainable because it doesn't fit the truth of Scripture. The triangle doesn't fit in a square. The circle doesn't fit in the triangle. The rectangle doesn't fit in the trapezoid. But a square fits in a square. A triangle fits in a triangle. The circle fits in a circle. You see? Formula. The formula must be right. You see? These theories don't fit today. They don't fit today. But by and large, these theories aren't exposed like they should be exposed. Why? Because of milk drinkers. Because of milk drinkers in churches. Because you don't have Bereans in churches. That's why. And it's shocking. It kills me. It breaks my heart. Because for a pastor to stand at the pulpit and say, okay, after church, everybody, we're going to go lay on graves. That should be the last day of full capacity in a church. Because if every, everybody were Bereans, they'd say, okay, hasta la vista, we're out of here. This is no more. But because of milk drinkers, you don't just have full capacity, you have overflow. You have multitudes in churches like that. A guy is at the pulpit and says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. He'll still be saved. That should be the last day of full capacity. But because you have milk drinkers, it's not the last day of full capacity. You see? These are things which will be exposed in the last days as we get further in the last days. And people will be forced to make a choice. Sadly, 
These are contributors to the falling away, the prophesied falling away. Because today people, oh, he's such a great expositor of the Bible. Look, a man of God, a man of God. And when the doctrine that is propagated by a false teacher, a servant of Satan, when the doctrine is proven as a lie, many believers will say, wow, everything I believed in was a lie, which is true. It was a lie. And instead of acknowledging that, wow, he's the lie, I need to get right with the Bible. They're going to say, he's the lie, and therefore, everything I believed was fake. Therefore, I'm going to align myself with the world. You see, the great falling away. Remember, even distribution, the four, the four categories of last day's church, even distribution, 25% for each group, each camp. But it's not. The remnant, the truth, 10%, if that, 5%. I mean, when you look at, you know, you look at Old Testament, remember, it just so happens we studied this on, on, on Wednesday. Joshua and Caleb, 0.0003%. Talk about remnant. You see? These are things that will be exposed in the last day. It's already exposed. It's been exposed. I mean, when the very second that false doctrine goes forth, it is false doctrine. It's always false. And it is only exposed as false to the Bereans, to those who search the scriptures with a noble heart. And at the same time, those who have a profound love of truth. You see, the last day's church, we will take casualties. Much of our losses are and will be self-inflicted. Remember Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. If you've been walking with us for a while, we've studied Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people perish for lack of knowledge. That's what the Lord says. My people perish for lack of knowledge. You see, he who now restrains will be taken out of the way. Now, when he's taken out of the way, you're going to see among Christians lamps going out because they ran out of oil. But you're also going to see something beautiful you're going to see lamps staying lit. Just like in Exodus, just like in, 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 in the book of Exodus, where, you know, there, all this darkness befalls Egypt, except there's light in the camp of Israel. There is light in Goshen. The same exact way. The spirit will lift. Lamps will go dim and go out. Those who have oil in their lamps, our numbers will dwindle rapidly. 
and you think like, okay, things are going to get easier now. No, it's going to get much worse. Why? Then more attacks will come. Turn with me to, 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 to Matthew chapter 12 really quick. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. Matthew 12, verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, beautiful, beautiful, an un- unclean spirit. You have a man who's now free in Christ. The unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes through dry places. This is speaking of the evil spirit. The evil spirit. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. So that evil spirit is going to go back to the the vessel that he occupied. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. You see? Nice and clean. Nice and clean. But how this translates is that it nice and clean, nice and cleaned up, except it's like the, like is on holiday. You see, it's like, you know, like, like on a leisure time, like on vacation. That's how it translates, you know, to be empty, swept and put in order, but it's like unoccupied. It's like, it's nice and clean. It's not in disarray. It's nice and clean, except there's no occupants. Now look what happens. Look what the demon does. Demonic tactics in verse 45. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits. Seven other spirits. So now we have a total of eight evil spirits. Seven other spirits. He goes and gets reinforcements. More wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, when the Holy Spirit lifts, Christians with no oil, who haven't stored oil, they're in big trouble. Christians who have a little bit of oil are in very big trouble. Why? Because now, remember, the demonic realm is on like full full activity. Satan knows his time is short. And he's on full activity and he knows that he who now restrains will be lifted. Which means it's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all. And now the demons, they're going to return. I mean, we're living in a time today. I mean, you might know, have you ever, I mean, you, you hear us mention that, you know, question earlier, like, do you know somebody who five years ago was on fire for the Lord and now they're crazy? Do you know somebody who one year ago was on fire for the Lord and now they're crazy or 10 years ago and now they're crazy? They're not walking with the Lord anymore. And you see the fruit of that. But in tandem with that aspect of spiritual warfare, in tandem with that, of these former believers, do you also see a condition or state that is worse than when they were not even believers? Say a person was uh, a sex head before. And they came to Christ and 
no longer a sex head. Except they stay on milk. Now they're milk drinkers, which milk is beautiful for babies. But after a year, after two years, after three years, after five years, after 10 years, they've been on milk the whole time. And now all of a sudden, you know, they've been on spiritual vacation, not going to spiritual boot camp, not going to spiritual rolling around on the mat, learning how to fight, learning how to fight and engage. And now the demon comes back, not by himself, with reinforcements that are worse than him, worse than that original spirit. Now you have a former believer who's not only not walking with the Lord anymore, but now is straight up crazy. And not just that, now he's not a sex head anymore. Now he's an alcoholic. Now he's on meth. And now he's on, you know, doing the gambling. Now he's doing the Buddhas, worshiping the occult and doing all kinds of different things. Why? Because he was a milk drinker. He didn't understand to count the cost and know that being a Christian, okay, now I got to learn how to fight because these demons are going to come back. These demons are going to return. You see it today. You see that today in former Christians, people who used to walk with Christ but are no longer walking with Christ. We see it today. How much worse is it going to be? In the last days when the restrainer is lifted out. Who goes into the world inside the church and outside the church. Who goes into the world to convict. When there's no more conviction. Think of what that world is going to look like. We already see little glimpses today. But a question that I often pose in my prayers is. Lord is the restrainer already lifting? Because you see sin at such a scale Where it's like, wow, there's no conviction. No conviction. A guy walking on a subway just cold cocks a a lady. Boom, knocks her out and she dies. She goes to the hospital, she dies. It's like, is there no conviction? Murder, rape. I meant... A guy today looks at a female and says, like, you know, wow, you know, carnal, not a believer. I mean, you see it in the church now, but it looks at a female and says, wow, you know, like, you know, and car had the carnal passions, the carnal desires. But remember, the Holy Spirit goes into the world to convict. And now nah, I'm not going to do that. You see? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. But what about when that is lifted? A guy has this sexual desire and says, you know what? I'm going to take that. You see? And that's just with sex. Don't forget the drugs, the alcohol, the meth, all these things. The rise of pharmakia, sorcery. And by sorcery, all the nations were deceived. These things are going to be on overdrive in the last days. They're going to be on overdrive in the last days. Very, very serious business. We already see casualties inside the church. We already see casualties. And it will grow even worse. It will grow even worse. The rise of the demonic realm. They know their time is short. 
but you're going to see the rise of the demonic realm, and we're already seeing it. It's all in preparation for the spirit of Antichrist to find his host. And the world will adore and worship the Antichrist. It begs the question, is the restrainer already starting to lift away? Already starting to be taken away, out of the way? Because as we get closer to more and more fulfillment of last day's prophecies, he who now restrains must be taken out of the way. Oh, but it's the church, it's the pre-tribulation rapture. No, the living will by no means precede the dead. Remember verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Kai, our gathering together to him. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see? Oh, but the return of Jesus is imminent. According to theory, yes. According to the Bible, no. Remember, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. As if from us, we never told you guys that. As though from us, Paul is saying, as though the day of Christ enistemi is impending or is imminent. You see, theories are only theories. What does the Bible say? People have a theory about X, Y, Z. Okay, let's take X, Y, Z. Let's look at X. Let's look at Y. Let's look at Z. Nope, doesn't fit. Therefore, trash. Okay, you got another theory, A, B, C. Okay, let's look at scripture, measure against scripture. Nope, doesn't fit. Bye-bye, trash. Okay, you have this other theory. Okay, let's see, one, two, three. Okay, one. Okay, that fits. Okay, two. Okay, that fits. Three. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, that fits. Beautiful. You see? Where are the sons of Issachar? Where are the sons of Issachar? They should be found among pastors. But where are they? Why are churches predominantly milk drinkers today? A pastor could stand at the pulpit and say, Okay, everybody, you know, I'm going to teach. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That should be the last day of Full pews. A pastor says, hey, God has done with Israel. Now his promises are to the church and replacement theology. That should be the last day of full pews. A pastor says, okay, everybody, after church, we're going to go grave soaking. That should be the last day of full pews. Should be, but it isn't. It's just the opposite. You see full pews and overflow pews. Why is that? Well, the Bible teaches us why. Now we see in verse 5, going back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
where Paul says in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that I was still with you? I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. In verse 8, And then, and then, and then the lawless one will be revealed. You see? And then the lawless one will be revealed. Is the Holy Spirit today already lifting? I can't say with definity, yes, it's already happening. But pretty soon, we'll be able to see Yes, it is already happening. We can wonder. We can wonder and see the rise of lawlessness. And see, okay, you know, we're getting close. But when it officially lifted, Immediately when the lifting of the Holy Spirit, when he is taken out of the way, who now restrains, and yes, he does restrain. As soon as he is lifted, the world is going to get ugly fast. Because remember, he goes into the world to convict the world. To convict the world, which is inside the church and outside the church. And when that is lifted, the world is going to instantly be crazy town. I mean, it's already crazy town, but I mean, it's going to be worse. A guy wants to, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. It's going to be amplified big time. Rape, murder, the whole nine yards. And then you're also going to see something. That's the world. You're also going to see something in the church. Instantly, you're going to see lamps go out among the milk drinkers. It breaks my heart. It kills me. I don't like I don't like that it's going to happen, but as surely as the Lord lives, it's going to happen. You're already seeing lamps go out. Oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. What we see in the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. Not for today. That was for that dispensation. That's, there's no light in that lamp. No light whatsoever in that lamp. Wickedness. Evil. Satanic. They are religious people. But I'm talking about the light of the Lord. Something different. Completely different. Not of this world. So when the Holy Spirit lifts, the world is going to get instantly crazy. But so is the church among the milk drinkers. You're going to see lamps, which already are going out, but you're going to see more lamps exponentially on the rise. You're going to see lamps instantly go out. But then in the course of time, you're going to see lamps get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and burn out. And then you're going to see lamps that are well lit. Why? Because they've stored their oil. Well lit, waiting for the bridegroom. You see? 
And when the spirit is lifted until he is taken out of the way in verse 7 and verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. His revealing is in the middle of the 70th week. And then the lawless one will be revealed. People today, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. Oh, but my pastor taught me that. That's nice. Get a new pastor. He has proven himself to be incapable of biblical discernment and incapable of testing the spirits. Oh, he's not a he, it's a she. Okay, even worse. Formula, 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 formula. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume. It's a sure thing. It's a, you know what's so beautiful? Is that, you know, when you look at the prophecies, when Jesus Christ is returning and you, I mean, if you've ever been in a fight before, I don't want to sound carnal or anything, but there's like preparations, you know, I mean, like if you're about ready to get in a fight one time, you know, when I was a kid, we had this big fight, a humongous fight and we won. But then like after the fight, you know, like we were like, you know, like kind of like, you know, telling our stories and stuff. And my friend starts, he pulls out a hammer out of his pocket, a screwdriver, like one of the, the meat tenderizers, like a steel meat tenderizer. And we were like, what in the world? Like, we were just going to fight. We don't want to kill anybody, you know? And so there's like preparations for a fight. He's like, well, I just wanted to be ready just in case. I want to be ready. You know, this guy had to fight a big guy. I'll pull out this, you know, this big hammer, this steel uh, the meat tenderizer. And, you know, when Je- kind of a carnal explanation of a fight. But when Jesus Christ is returning and the forces of Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon, the forces of Antichrist are there. There's no preparation for the fight. There's no like, okay, we're going to like get ready, you know, like, you know, get ready, you know, brace yourselves. We're going to take impact. No. You know what the Lord says? He tells the angel to call the birds of the air. He tells the angel, listen, call the birds because all these guys over here, this big army, the, 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 this is the forces of Antichrist, you know, which, which in, a, in the ways of the world is a powerful force, a force to be reckoned with, carnally speaking, in the world. God on earth will say, just like Pharaoh. He will be, the world is going to worship him as God. The world will acknowledge him as God on earth. Well, just straight up God. They're going to worship him. They're going to adore him. And you figure, you know, Jesus Christ, not carnally. Carnally speaking, you know, somebody coming against this force would be like, okay, you know, brace yourself. And, you know, we're going to get, get prepared for impact. And we're going to fight and go on defense and offense and all these things. Jesus Christ, he says to angel, angel, call the birds. Call the birds of the air. And tell them to gather here because this big army over here, this big force you know, these birds, they're going to have a feast. They're going to eat on the flesh of these people. It's like, it's not even a fight. That's the Lord. Yes, there's the strength of Pharaoh. There is the gods of Egypt, which are powerful, but not all powerful. Not the Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is almighty. You see? When Jesus Christ returns, yes, the forces of Antichrist, very powerful. But not all powerful. 
very mighty, but not almighty. You see? And when the lawless one in verse 8 is revealed, which happens in the middle of the 70th week, which correlates, you know, Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation, that when he uh, sits in verse 4, when he's revealed, he sits in the temple of God proclaiming to be God in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then in verse 8 here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, we see whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You see, when the Antichrist is revealed and we wait for the return of our king, the return of the real king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus. This, Until then, we're going to take casualties. But don't forget, it is written, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because this life, of course, sin separates us from the Lord. In a spiritual sense. But in a physical and literal sense, so does this flesh. You see? Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the living, those who are alive and survive. Remember, he who now restrains the Holy Spirit, who convicts the world. Remember, we looked at uh, 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 John, uh, uh, John 16. When that is lifted, the world is going to be hell on earth. And we will take casualties. It's going to be perilous, very perilous. Just as the Bible says, perilous times. And the Bible says, just like we studied in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not just we who are alive and remain, which many translations say, but when you look at the Greek, we who, who are alive and remain as survivors. We who are alive and survive. Because remember, the world will have no conviction of the Spirit. They want to murder? Murder. They want to rape? Rape. They want to beat up? Beat up. They want to kill? Kill. No conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see? We who are alive and survive, we have to be wise. Where is wisdom to be found today? Where is wisdom to be found today? Where in the world are the pastors? Where in the world are the sons of Issachar? Where in the world are the Bereans with noble hearts? You see? 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, the Thessalonican saints, the Thessalonian saints, who had subjected themselves to the doctrine of imminency. And number one, Paul says, listen, we never told you that. That never came from us. And in verse five, he says, look, we told you. Do you not remember when I was with you? I told you these things. This doctrine of imminency for the Thessalonian saints 
And Paul writes to them, inspired of the Lord, writes them and says, listen, there's these qualifiers. That day, that day will not happen until boom, boom, boom. But today, these very prophecies today are in play. Today, these prophecies are absolutely 100% in play. 2,000 years ago, not yet. Now, there are people today, the so-called scholars today, they say, oh, this was already fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes. They say, oh, it was already fulfilled. It was already fulfilled. The so-called scholars of today, but their scholarship is preschool. Why? Because, okay, when you look at other prophecies, now, if that's you, if you if you believe that this was fulfilled in 70 AD, Antiochus Epiphanes, no. No. What was the mark of the beast system? When did the Euphrates River get dry? Who were the kings of the East? Because 70 AD, those were kings of the West. It is also written. It is also written. It is also written. So you have the so-called scholars and brainiacs of today. But we look at formula. We have to understand formula. And when it doesn't fit, you know, triangle doesn't fit in the square. Triangle doesn't fit in the circle. Triangle fits in the triangle. Circle fits in the circle. Square fits in the square. Everything, every single theory must align with scripture. Because people have these ideas, okay, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. Nope, doesn't align with scripture. You see, test the spirits. People have this idea of what the last days look like, but the last days must align with what the Bible says the last days are going to look like. Other Christs, they're going to propose all these other ideas. Oh, the last days look like this. The last days look like this. The last days look like this. But the disciples, Christians, they ask Jesus Christ, what do the last days look like? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the real Jesus explains exactly what it looks like. He says, he also says, do not be deceived. Let no one deceive you. You see? Look at the church today. Look at Christians today. Already deceived. You see? Already deceived. How does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, let's look at verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Translates as, is according to the working or the strong, active, powerful, and effectual working of Satan. Yes, very powerful, Satan. But not all-powerful, not almighty. Just like the gods of Egypt. Very powerful. The armies of Pharaoh, very powerful. But not all-powerful, not almighty. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. And the lawless one will be revealed. In verse 8, we see that the lawless one will be revealed. There's these prerequisites. The falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition in verse 3. But then we see in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one. So like now we have prerequisites of the Antichrist. The coming of the revealing of the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one 
is according to the working of Satan. And remember, that uh, verse 7 says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. He's already at work. Already at work. You see in Genesis, the little serpent. But then in Revelation, you see the big dragon. He's been growing throughout the ages. Our enemy has been growing throughout the ages. And the coming in verse 9 of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Translates as false, deceptive, and untruthful wonders. This storm that is coming to the earth, it will be a storm unlike any other storm. And you have Christians today, oh, I just feel it in my heart. I just feel it in my heart. Why would God allow us to suffer? Oh, I just feel it in my heart. Look, this godly man, he's teaching me pre-tribulation rapture. And I just feel it in my heart that this is the right way. Listen, do not trust your heart. Do not trust your heart. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart, which a lot of people place their trust in, even Christians. The heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things. I mean, have you ever known a liar? Have you ever met a liar or known a liar? Very deceitful. And yet the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Question mark. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And you have Christians today who either do not know or have forgotten. Oh, I just feel it in my heart. Why would God allow us to suffer? Oh, I just feel it in my heart. Look, I bought this these left behind books. Look, I just feel it in my heart. I bought these left behind movies. I'm too lazy to read, so I bought the movies. It's a left behind lie. Pre-tribulation rapture. It's a lie. Straight up, it's a lie. Oh, but I just feel it in my heart. Never trust your heart. Because it's deceitful above all things. Your trust, my trust, it must always remain in the truth of God's holy word. Genesis to Revelation. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, <clears throat> there's passages which are hardcore. There are passages which are like, whoa, like, this is heavy. I mean, like the marriage chapters, you know, and people who are involved in certain sins. I mean, like people in the Bible and it's like, whoa, like, look, this guy did this. And OK, glad he repented. OK, this lady did this. OK, I'm glad she repented. This guy did this. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't repent. And oh, my goodness. This, this is how the Lord responds. Oh, my goodness. He's dead now. You see. We learn. You and me. I don't care. You know, we have. Aunts, uncles, cousins, 
spouses, kids, parents, grandparents, uncles twice removed, cousins twice removed or whatever. We have family, all these things. Listen, people say, oh, family is everything. Family is everything. Biblically speaking, prophetically speaking, family will want you dead. You see, biblically speaking, biological family, those under your own roof. You see? They're going to be the ones to call the cops and say, look, I got a Christian over here. They're going to be the ones to call the police and say, listen, authorities, I got a Christian over here. Got a believer over here. He's not on board with the, with the Antichrist, God on earth. She's not on board with Antichrist, God on earth. Hey, cops, hey, authorities, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And, you know, I don't believe the book of Acts. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit does those things anymore. But look, look over here. There's some Christians over here. There's some of those, you know, the, 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 the Christians that don't want to align. They don't want to get on board with where the world is going in this new age. You see, they might call themselves Christians. But which Christ are they abiding in? The real Jesus? Or one of many fake ones? The real Jesus says there will be many Christs. A man's enemies will be those under his own roof, prophetically speaking. A man's enemies will be those under his own roof. A lady's enemies will be those under her own roof. Why? He who now restrains who goes into the world to convict who goes to the world to convict the world of sin of righteousness and, and of judgment convict the world he's lifted he's taken out of the way now what's exposed now as christians we say wow look there's beautiful light over there beautiful light look there's light there's light there's light but those who are on board with the antichrist they're going to see there's light Let's kill him. Let's kill her. You see? Perilous times. Perilous, perilous times. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we see in verse 9 that the coming of the lawless one now we see that you know when the lawless one is revealed at the you know the abomination of desolation which is the middle of the 70th week of daniel but the coming of the lawless one what are the prerequisites for his arrival and his coming well we see in verse 9 that it's according to the working of satan with all power signs and lying wonders but then look at more how does this how does this get to be in verse 10 and with all unrighteous deception. Today, among believers, there is already unrighteous deception. And with all unrighteous deception. Now, the world is the world. There's unrighteous deception in the world. But we're living in a time where we see the rise of unrighteous deception in the church. I mean, a pastor says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And you figure, you know, that's easy. You figure, okay, I'm jumping chip. I'm out of here. But what do you see? Full pews. Unrighteous deception. 
A pastor says, hey, everybody, let's go lay on the graves. We're going to soak the spirit of dead people. Deception. Unrighteous, wicked deception. And you don't see empty pews. You should see empty pews. I mean, if everybody were Bereans, what should be seen among God's people, among Christians, so-called expositors of the Bible, so-called, you know, uh, the learned class. The pastor teaches heresy. That should be his last sermon with full pews. But it isn't. And now you see these prerequisites for the arrival of the Antichrist and the coming of the lawless one. Because in accordance with all unrighteous deception in verse 10, among those who perish. Whoa, that's heavy. Remember in our study in chapter 1, and last week in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we see non-believers, chi, inclusivity, disobedient. Non-believers and, which is chi, disobedient, inclusivity. Because just like Brother James says, faith without works is dead. Boil it down. Believe without obedience is worthless. You see? Because one that one cannot believe and not obey. The disobedient can. You see? That's why Jesus Christ says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Why? I never knew you, he says. I never knew you. Oh, but Jesus, we did all these things in your name. I did this in your name, did this in your name. That's nice. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, but my pastor says, you know, that, you know, once saved, always saved. Name it and claim it. That's nice. Jesus is going to say, I never knew him either. I don't know him either. He's next. You see? This unrighteous deception... These are signs, of precursory signs of the coming of the lawless one and his revealing the Antichrist. People no longer holding on to the truth of God's holy word. In verse 10, with all unrighteous deception among, all, among those who perish. Why we see? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Let me read this again. Understanding that the Antichrist will be revealed and the church, Christians, we will be here because pre-tribulation rapture, it is unbiblical. I know the teaching is out there, but just as Paul says, that ain't us. That's not from us. We never taught that. We don't teach that. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. Because the Spirit of the Lord leads a person in the truth of God's holy word. Oh, but the pastor says his imminent return. That's nice. What does the word of God say? Verse 2, as though the day of Christ enestemi, as though the day of Christ is impending or is imminent. The man of sin, the son of perdition, will be revealed. And Christians will be here. The pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. Remember verse 1? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
tie our gathering together to him. And when you listen to our studies through First Thessalonians, you understand that, you know, uh, phase one, phase two, evacuation. And then you listen to Second Thessalonians chapter one, and then it all fits. It fits perfectly. With the prophecies of Ezekiel, with prophecies in Exodus, with prophecies in Deuteronomy, with prophecies in Revelation, with prophecies in Matthew, with prophecies in Joel, and prophecies in Hosea, it all fits. Triangle and triangle, square in the square, circle in the circle. So how does this... How do these false doctrines gain steam? How do they gain momentum? Why is it that a pastor can say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, and the pews aren't empty? Why is it that a pastor can say, go ahead and, you know, uh, we're going to go grave soaking, and the pews aren't empty? How is it that a pastor can look at the rafters inside of a sanctuary, have, you know, give the signal for glitter to fall down, glitter is falling down, he calls it the Holy Spirit, and why is it that the pews aren't empty? Verse 10 tells us why. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Because they did not receive, which translates as receive, except to take, to seize, and to take hold of. They did not do that. With not just the truth, I'm talking about a profound love of the truth. No matter how painful to have a deep, 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 profound love of the truth. No matter how painful. Because when you love the truth, and the more you obey, the less it is painful. The more carnal you are, the truth of God's holy word is painful. But the more you repent and align to the word of God, the less the word of God is painful. And the more you fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with God's holy word. You see? And I tell you from experience. I don't tell you because a guy on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, said it. I don't tell you because I read a New York Times bestseller. I'm like, okay, taking notes. Oh, that sounds good. I think I'm going to say this too. I don't say this and say, well, for 1999, you can listen to these other studies. I tell you from experience, I've tasted of the world. The filth, the yuck, the nast of this world. And just as the word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've tasted, I've seen, and I tell you the truth, the Lord is good. Painful is his word in disobedience. But safe and comforting is his word in obedience. You see, the love of the truth. You know what's so beautiful? I'll talk with saints from time to time. 
I'll talk with saints and, you know, oh, you know, brother, I'm having problems here. I'm having problems here, problems here, problems here. And then we have this conversation. And it's like, just in conversation alone, you see people, they, they love Jesus. I'm not denying that. But like a deep, profound love of the truth of his word is lacking, is rarely found. But then I have conversations with other people, male and female. And when you see deep, 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 profound love of truth, there's something also seen. Righteousness. Holiness. It's rare. I mean, when I say rare, you know, our Old Testament studies, remember, all of Israel was defiled. Except for two. You see? All of Israel. Fearful. Chastened by the Lord. Except there were two who stood. You talk about remnant. I'm talking about the few. When you have a deep, profound love of truth, you will be safe. As surely as the Lord lives, you will be safe. But this is rare. And it's going to grow even more rare in the last days. And these are signs. The precursory, you know, the, 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 the revealing of the Antichrist. There's build-up to that. Pre there's prerequisites to the return of Jesus Christ. There's prerequisites to the, re to, not the return, but there are prerequisites to the revealing of the Antichrist. So, biblical prerequisites to the uh, return of Christ and biblical prerequisites to the revealing of Antichrist. And you see, without the love of the truth, because in verse 10, they did not receive or they did not accept or take or seize or take hold of the love of the truth that they might be saved. People say, oh, but wait, once saved, always saved. No, once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Turn with me to the book of Luke really quick. Sometimes Christians get mad at me. Oh, how dare you say that? Once saved, always saved. The Bible says it's once saved, always saved. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't say that. What are you reading? The message? Now we do Hebrew, we do Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we see in verse 11, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. But notice in verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. It's not to the last dying breath. It's belief in Jesus, but just for a little bit. It might be five days, five months, five years, five decades. I don't know. But it's not for the long haul. They believe for a while and in time of temptation 
fall away. This falling away is going to be on overdrive in the last days in fulfillment of what we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 3 that the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Oh, but that's the rapture. Look, the 1599 Geneva Bible. That's nice. That's nice. What does the Bible say? You see? Remember Paul? When he says you have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. Let me do the math. 10,001 teachers. Do the math. I'm at 10,000 plus one. I'm not very good at math, but that's kind of easy. 10,000 plus one. I get 10,001. You have 10,001 that you can listen to. Only one is safe. You have 10,001 that you can yield to. And there's safety in one. That's hardcore. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Today, it's 10 million and one. You see? One encompasses the faithful shepherds, the sons of Issachar. You see? Which are very few. You see? And we see that this gearing up for the revealing of the Antichrist, the precursor in verse verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, which is according to the working of Satan, you know, little tiny serpent in Genesis, big humongous dragon in Revelation. So he's... He, he, he's up there in stature in terms of, you know, his great, you know, dragon state. And so this unrighteous deception in verse 10 among those who perish because they did not really receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And people say, oh, but once saved, I was saved. Nope, unbiblical. Oh, but the pre-tribulation rapture. Nope, unbiblical. Oh, but I just feel it in my heart. Why would God allow us to suffer? And I just feel it in my heart. Nope, unbiblical. Do not trust your heart. We're living in a time where there's no palate. There is no palate nor stomach for this walk. And you walk the narrow path. You will be hated. In this world, you will be hated among Christians and highly likely that you will stand alone. Many will leave you, if not everyone will leave you. But you will live. You see? Now we see, that's what's so beautiful you know, about the Christians. They say, oh, you know, I, I don't want to be here for that. I don't want to be here for the tribulation. I don't listen. Just like we said, remember our study in First Thessalonians, we're born for this. We're born for this. And what's so beautiful about the events of the last days, yes, very perilous. Yes, we will take casualties. 
But then at the same time, understand that false doctrine will be exposed. It will be exposed. But my pastor taught me this. My pastor taught me that. That's nice. He was wrong. Jump ship. He was wrong. And then also you were wrong. Somebody says, oh, my pastor taught me this. My pastor looked at He was wrong. And you were wrong because you followed the wrong guy. Oh, my pastor's lady. Okay, there you go. More. You're adding more. Repent, 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 repent. That's one of the most beautiful aspects of the final seven years of world history. Particularly the last three and a half years. Now, verse 11. Now, what is the result of not loving truth? Remember, God is reactionary. In verse 11, And for this reason, God, who surely moves, for this reason, remember, no love of the truth. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Whoa. It's from the Lord. It's a form of judgment. People say, but why would a loving God do this? Why would a loving God do this? I'll give you the answer. And it's going to rub you the wrong way, but I'll give you the answer. And I've been asked this question before. Why would a loving God do this? Because the loving God is responding to your hate. Why would a loving God do this? Remember, he's reactionary. He responds to obedience and disobedience. He responds to wickedness and righteousness. And he responds to repentance. Why would a loving God do this? God is love. Absolutely. He is love. And judgment is coming. And God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. One way. One way. Jesus Christ. What does Satan do? He has to bring up all these other Christs. little fake out job oh look you can abide over here in this Christ oh look you can abide in this Christ oh look you can abide in this Christ nope because the real Jesus his word is above his name you see God is reactionary he responds to obedience he responds to disobedience he responds to wickedness he responds to righteousness he responds to repentance Refusal to obey. Working iniquity. That's when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You see? Those who hate you today, they make fun of you. Oh, you're going too far with this Jesus business. They call you a legalist. They make fun of your obedience to Jesus. 
their tomorrow is very dreadful without repentance. Because without a, without a profound love of the truth, look at, look at all the things that are in play. When we look at he who now restrains the Holy Spirit who goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, righteousness and of judgment, and he's lifted? Today they, they, today they call you a legalist. Today they make fun of your obedience. But tomorrow, when that time comes, they have no you like, oh, I hate that guy, I hate that gal, I wish they were dead. And no conviction of the Holy Spirit? You know what? I'm going to take it upon myself to kill him. I'm going to take it upon myself to kill her. I'm going to do God a favor. And they're not speaking about God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're speaking about the Antichrist, God on earth. You see? Because they're going to worship him as though he is God. They're going to worship him and acknowledge him as God. And today they call you a legalist. Today they make fun of your obedience. But without repentance, their tomorrow is dreadful. But yet you already see the building blocks being put in place because of no love of truth. And the Bible says in verse 11 here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for this reason, as a result, remember God is reactionary. As a result of no love of truth, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's judgment. It's judgment. And you know what's so powerful? God is simply doing what he said he would do. The problem is people don't know. Maybe people don't know. Maybe people forgot. Maybe people were never taught. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 28? And we see in Deuteronomy 28... <clears throat> We see Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, I'm not advocating the law. We're in Deuteronomy. But we study the Old Testament through the lens of the New Covenant. If you're, you know, as a, as a safety net, listen to our study through Galatians, all of it. The introduction all of it. Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. All of it. Listen to Galatians because you'll understand the purpose of the law. The reason for the law. But remember, remember, the Lord never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And yet the Lord in the last days, the Lord is doing exactly what he said he would do. Because of no love of truth, just as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for this reason, in verse 11, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, he says, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now we look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 28. The Lord will strike you with madness, which in the Hebrew translates as craziness and panic. Crazy town. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday. And as a blind man gropes in darkness, you shall not prosper in your, in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. And no one shall save you. It's like, whoa, you know, as a result of 
disobedience, the Lord will strike with madness, craziness, and panic, and blindness, and confusion. As a blind man gropes in the darkness, the Lord will do that? Yes. The Lord did that, the Lord does that, and the Lord will do that. Now we see the building blocks of what are putting in motion the not just the revealing of the Antichrist, but the building blocks of his coming. Look at the world today. Look inside the church today. And you see the rise of strong delusion. Strong delusion. I mean, I've had these conversations with Satanists before. Satanists who, you know, are... I hope and pray that they become Christians and in some cases very close. In one particular case, extremely close. And everybody says, wow, I don't know what's happening in the world, but everybody's turning crazy. These are the building blocks, the coming of the lawless one. The Antichrist spirit is looking for his host. If it's not already found, just waiting to enter the world stage, enter peacefully. You look at the strong delusion that we currently live in today. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, disgusting craziness. You look at the world, it's like, okay, what do you expect? It's the world. But look inside the church. You see, straight up crazy. Tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. But strong delusion, it's judgment from the Lord. You see? And without the love of the truth, just as we see 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, without the love of the truth in verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know how this translates in the Greek? But had pleasure in unrighteousness? It's to suppose as good unrighteousness. To assume and suppose that unrighteousness is good. I want to feel good about myself, people say. How dare you mention my sexual behaviors? How dare you mention my drugs and alcohol and gambling and all these kinds of different... How dare you mention this? Listen, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. God is love. God is love. And I want to come to church. I want to feel good. And I want to feel the love of God. And I want to feel, you know, people have these mantras all the time. They develop these, if it feels good, just do it ideas. And what they're doing is they're supposing as good, supposing to be unrighteous. Unrighteousness is what they're supposing to be a good thing. 
I want to come to church and feel good about myself, but don't mention my sex. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Don't, don't mention my meth and my crack and my gambling and my Buddha and my Ouija boards and the occult and Mary and this and that, the Krishnas. I want to come to church and feel good about myself, but don't mention this guy's sex or this lady's sex or the sex of my kids and they're sexually active and doing this and doing that. Don't mention the crack. Don't mention the sex. Don't mention this. And they suppose as being good the very thing which the Bible says is unrighteous. You see? This is the doorway of the domain of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And such people are without excuse both outside the church and inside the church. Repent, 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 repent. The church is in trouble. And that's what a profound love of truth will keep you from. Because you could be in all kinds of mess, but with a profound love of truth. You read the Bible and it's like, whoa, the Lord doesn't like this. Lord, forgive me. And you want to please him because you have a profound love of truth. Whoa, Lord, you don't like the sex. Okay, no more. Whoa, Lord, you don't like the crack. Okay, no more. Oh, Lord, you don't like the gambling. Okay, no more. And in the course of time, you know what's happening? From the word of God, he's cleaning house. As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. You see? That's a profound love of truth. You hear the guy say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's like, wow, that's not according to truth. Wow, Lord, I love you. You know, I got my friends here in this church, but Lord, I love you. And I'm jumping ship because this guy's crazy. And, you know, all my friends that I love, I'm bringing them with me because I love them. You see? The judgment of the Lord can already be seen, but you must have eyes to see. Because you're going to see things. It's already happening. Look at all the craziness that we see. Forget the world. The world is already going crazy. That's like, you know, at a larger degree than what we see inside the church. When you look inside the church, and you see strong delusion. I mean, people calling glitter the Holy Spirit. A, a pastor calls glitter the Holy Spirit. There should at least be a co-pastor or elder say, no, pastor, that's crazy. But no, co-pastor, elders are on board, worship teams on board. And then you have people in the pews, they're all on board. And then you see what they call the holy laughter. Jumping around, laying on the floor, rolling around, holy laughter. Oh, look, the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit moving. Oh, look, it's the glitter. The Holy Spirit is moving. That's crazy. That is straight up crazy. That is strong delusion. But the building blocks, the working and the power of Satan. And it's going to get worse. This That's inside the church. I mean, if you call it a church. They have the word church on the front door, but inside, poison. 
Uh, how can you say that? Look, he's anointed of the Lord. That ain't anointing. That's not the Lord. You're calling a servant of Satan the anointing of the Lord? <gasps> how dare you say that? How dare you say that? Listen, remember, we make the distinction between field and worker. And in the field, in the building, in the building, make the distinction between milk and meat. Because a lot of milk drinkers, they get very offended. <gasps> how dare you say that? How dare you say that? But they're without understanding. They're milk drinkers. That's it. That, you know, how can you expect the baby to do calculus? You see, you can't expect the baby to do calculus. A baby can't do calculus. But a baby can grow, matriculate, and learn, and, you know, and eventually doing brain surgery, you know, neuroscience or whatever. But as a milk drinker, no, they, they got the bottle. But you see the same thing in the church. Oh, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? How dare you say that? No, no. How dare you believe that? Come out of her, my people. The strong delusion, which is from the Lord, judgment from the Lord. That they should believe the lie in verse 11. It is judgment. And it is growing the strong delusion. You see? God is all powerful. And in his, in that that power of the Lord, Within that framework and in accordance to the word of God, power will be given to Satan to prevail against the saints. And at the same time, understanding the truth of scripture as we're moving forward to that moment. And we look at the prerequisites, like hit the rewind button and using scripture, seeing the prerequisites to that point at the same time, at, as we're moving forward, we're moving forward to a time when Jesus says, no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. I mean, say 10,000 Christians are standing to right here, right now. We're moving forward to a time when zero Christians will be standing unless those days were shortened, even the elect. See, there's 10 million Christians who are standing firmly right now. We're moving to a time when there will be zero. How does that happen? Well, we see these prerequisites. I mean, you see like the... the finality of events of the last days and hit the rewind button and look at all these other additional prophecies and you hit the rewind button you know there's a reason why we say a profound deep love of the truth even when it hurts there's a reason why we say store your oil there's a reason why we say learn to make bread there's a reason why we say Formula, formula, formula. There's a reason why we stress formula in oneself. There's a reason why we stress 
formula in the pastor, in the elder, in the sanctuary. There's a reason why we make the distinction between milk and meat. There's a reason why we make the distinction between uh, not just milk and meat, but you know all these distinctions that we make between remnant and leaven. There's a reason. And it's so that we can understand. It's to evoke a response in all of us. Because the days are evil. The days are wicked. And it's going to get much, 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 much worse. Remember, we'll say a thousand Say there's a thousand Christians that are standing firm today. We're moving closer to a time when that number 10,000 will be zero unless those days be shortened, even the elect. You see? And those days are shortened. And praise the Lord, those days are shortened, but it's not to say that it's not without peril, because the days will be perilous. On top of that, he who now restrains will be lifted. On top of that, Christians, Jew and Christian, will be in the crosshairs. On top of that, we who are alive and remain as survivors will be caught up in the air. And the living will by no means precede the dead. The dead will rise first. You see? Now, when you have a profound love of truth, I mean, you put all those together. A profound love of truth. Store your oil. Learn to make bread. That alone, you're in good hands. But then on top of that, to understand and gain wisdom in understanding formula, formula, formula in oneself and then also formula in pastor. You see, what to look for in pastor, what to look for in sons of Issachar. And when you're sitting in the pews, it's like, okay, that's a wolf. I'm a guest in this church. This guy's nice. This lady's nice. This other guy, he's a creep. Okay, fruit not good. This guy's a creep. This lady, she thinks she's in a nightclub. Okay, fruit's not good. She dresses like this. Okay, fruit's terrible. What is being taught? Pastor comes out, it's Pastor Jennifer. Okay, this formula's wrong in this church. I'm out. See? Sometimes I talk to Christians who have a hard time with jumping ship. I've been going to this church forever, forever, forever. And listen, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Your loyalty, my loyalty is to Jesus Christ and Him alone. I mean, pastors are a little different. There's loyalty to Jesus Christ, but then at the same time, there's responsibility, loyalty to the flock. But responsible for shepherding to Jesus. Pastors are a little different. And make the distinction, distinction between field and worker. It's hardcore. Hardcore, you know, if there's any veterans listening, you know, my beautiful veterans, I love you, you know, Vietnam veterans. 
the world has no stomach for violence. It's very similar in the last days and the remnant. Because the world, just like with the veterans, you know, the world has no stomach for extreme violence. But when they're in a violent environment, they want you. You see? I mean, have you ever entered a country or a region where in other parts of the world, in other regions, nobody likes you, people hate you, and you're just you and your guys, and you just that's just the way it is. But then you enter a region and the people love you, male, female, young, old, kids, old people. Why? Because you liberated them. And I'm speaking very carnally in saying that, like actual acts of war. But it's very similar in the last days when you're among the remnant. Today, there's no stomach for the warrior class. Spiritually speaking, there's no stomach for the warrior class. Because you're hardcore. There's no stomach for it. But when all these things are not just in play, when all these things actually come to pass, they're going to be looking for you. You see? And Satan knows this. Which is why the prophecies of, you know, the teachers, the pastors, kill them. Kill them. You see? Perilous times. And I love verse 13. But we... I mean, <laughs> Like put yourself in Paul's sandals for a moment. So you have the saints. They had adhered to the doctrine of imminency, which is biblically wrong. You know, Paul says, you know, I told you these guys, these, uh, these when I was with you, I told you these things. And so you have, you know, they were kind of, the saints were a little freaked out. And so the doctrine of imminency, they, okay, move and get in out of Thess Thessalonica proper and go to Thessalonica boonies. And they head for the hills and they move and they establish their like a communal living type environment and they're waiting for Jesus to return. And all of a sudden, you know, the Lord tells them, the, the Lord tells Paul, Paul, write them a letter, write second Thessalonians. So Paul, okay, Lord, he writes a second letter, puts things back in order. You know, we never told you that, you know, you have this doctrine of imminency, but not from us. We never told you that. And then, you know, all these things, it's like, whoa, you know, strong delusion. Whoa, there's, a, you know, death and destruction, the coming of the lawless one. Oh, my goodness, all this. And then verse 13, but we, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like you know, like drop a bomb and then all of a sudden, like, okay, but hold on, you know. And, I, you know, 2,000 years ago, what a relief it was 2,000 years ago to understand, like, whew. Not just, not, not, not like we dodged a bullet, but like, you know, wow, you know, this is for a future time. But today... These were in play. These were in play. Don't forget, Thessalonica was already has it had, had its form of peril. Puts things in perspective because, I mean, to be in remember under the thumb of the thumb of Rome wasn't so prominent as the thumb of the religious leaders, but under the thumb of the religious leaders in Thessalonica, remember the home invasion with Jason, a study in the Book of Acts. 
I mean, to have to live in that environment, to read first to, to, to for Paul to write First Thessalonians and the saints to respond to First Thessalonians, forgetting things that Paul said that he told them while he was with them that you know the prerequisites to these events of the last days, and for them to leave. Thessalonica and say, wow, it's better for to, to, when Jesus is coming to understand that, okay, we're going to head for the hills and understand that Jesus is coming. But for them, for Paul to say, you know, these days, you know, these are the prerequisites for those things. And, you know, remember they're in Thessalonica where it's, there's already persecution. But for them to realize and see like, wow, it's going to be even worse with these prerequisites. It's going to be even worse. And today, these prophecies are officially in play. Officially in play. I mean, if we were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, yeah, 10 years ago, and, you know, we're in the subject matter of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but it I don't know if it would be as in-depth or looking at these other passages or pointing to these other scriptures because certain things hadn't yet come to pass. But today, these are absolutely in play. Strong delusion isn't coming. Strong delusion is here. And if strong delusion is here, that means other things are on the doorstep. And we see in verse 12 that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. I love this so much. From the beginning, chose you for salvation. Now the Calvinist reform theory people, they say, uh, uh, Jesus, you, you know, you didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you, you know, that, that, quoting Jesus, which is beautiful. You know, you didn't, cho- you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's from John 15. But don't forget John 6, where Jesus says, you 12 I have chosen and one of you is a devil. You see? That's why Brother Peter says, make your call and election sure. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Remember, Jesus says, you 12 I have chosen, one of you is a devil. Speaking of Judas. Judas made his choice. When you read Acts chapter 1, we see Judas fell by transgression. You see? That's the deceitfulness of sin, what we read in Hebrews 3. Don't be a short-term believer, what we see in Luke chapter 8. Do not be a short-term believer. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Now, obey Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Now, every single day, to our last dying breath. You see? Because God, he says in verse 13, from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Or by the Spirit, kai, remember, inclusivity, belief in the truth. You see? Which the remnant 
Speaking of the truth, the remnant profoundly loves. Verse 14, to which he called you by our, by our gospel. I love this so much because remember, this doctrine of imminency is spreading. But Paul says, listen, that's not of us. We never told you that. We never thought that. I never thought that. Timmy never thought that. Sylvanus, he never thought that. Paul's saying, we know what we feed you. And it's from the Lord because everything aligns. We look at the formula. Because Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You follow the grave soakers? No. You follow, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You follow that, you heed that, you're going to burn in hell. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You follow him, paradise. Formula, formula, formula. You see? You follow Paul, and it's like, wow, you read you read James, it's like, wow, it aligns. You read John, wow, it aligns. You read Joel, wow, it aligns. You read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, you read Amos, everything aligns. Why? Same spirit. The vessels of the Lord, the vessels that the Lord uses in the spirit of the Lord, which leads in truth, the truth of God's holy word. Shepherding in truth, sons of Issachar shepherding in truth. We see in verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you the truth, it will be glorious. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an, of an eye at the last trumpet. You see, everything aligns at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Remember, the dead first, we who are living will by no means precede the dead. We who are alive and survive will by no means precede the dead. So the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on, put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's when saints receive the glorified body. You see? The mortal putting on immortality. Verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It will be glorious. 
I tell you the truth, it will be glorious. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In closing, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Which is a military term, just like we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Stand fast, it's a military term, to be immovable. Stand your ground. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions or hold tightly to the traditions or the precepts which you were taught. You see, with Paul, the formula is right. You hold on to the precepts of Paul. Beautiful, safe. You hold on to the precepts of Amos. Beautiful. The, the precepts of John, Jude, uh, Peter, uh, Matthew, uh, Jeremiah. Beautiful, safe. You hold on to the precepts of the grave soakers, of the Mark of the Beast people, the study Bible, Mark of the Beast people. You hold on to that. That's the door is open to the lake of fire. You see, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, you look at the formula. Everything aligns. It's safe to follow him. When the study Bible Mark of the Beast guy says, follow me as I follow Christ. The same words that Paul uses, but the different Jesus. Because the real Jesus says, don't you dare take the Mark of the Beast. But servants of Satan, they say, go ahead, take the Mark of the Beast. You'll still be saved. You see? Formula, formula, formula. Verse 15, stand fast and hold the traditions or hold tightly to the precepts which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Paul is saying, I'm teaching you. I'm pouring into you. The formula is right. It's so beautiful. They have the doctrine of imminency. Paul says, I never taught you that. We never taught you that. Little Timmy, he never taught you that. Sylvanus, he never taught Priscilla, Aquila, they never taught that. Chloe, she never taught that. You see? In verse 16, in closing, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved and given us everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by grace. You see? God's riches. The blessings of obedience, just like we study in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, we see the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. God's riches. The blessings of obedience upon his people. And what do the blessings look like? Well, we see in verse 17, comfort your hearts. You see, it's deep within, inside of his temple, comfort. And establish, he said, which is to strengthen and confirm and establish you. Remember, in our study in Colossians, there's confidence in the circumcision. Confidence in the circumcision. Now, we know circumcision is not according to flesh. According to flesh, male. According to spirit, male and female. In Christ is the only way females can be circumcised because it's not of the flesh, it's of the heart. Remember, First census in the book of Numbers, first census, death. Second census, life, promised land. Second census, females. You see, female inclusion. 
In Christ, there's no male, female, remember? It's so beautiful because we put all these together. We see there is confidence in the circumcision, but not an earthly confidence that produces pride and arrogance, a confidence of heart and of spirit to know I am the Lord's and the Lord is mine. To know that we are peculiar people, the ecclesia, a congregation and assembly of the saints. To know who we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we see the fruit of obedience, which is the blessings of the Lord. And then at the same time, that may he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. This is the way. This is the narrow path. This is the path of the ecclesia. This is the path of the remnant. This is the path of the people who know their God. Before we close, I have a message to the post-tribulationists. To the post-tribulationists, those who believe that the rapture is after tribulation. In terms of number of years, seven years. To the post-tribulationists. Your discernment is good in rejecting the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And Jesus does say immediately after the tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 29. It's biblically true. Jesus does say immediately after the tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 29. But there is no verse found in the Bible which says that the tribulation period is seven years. There are many theories which say it is seven years, but they're mere theories which are unbiblical. And Jesus does say that there will be tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 21. But this happens after the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 15. So does that mean that the tribulation is three and a half years? The answer is no. Now, the last three and a half years is a window of time that the tribulation occurs within. I can make a strong case of maybe three years and a couple months because... When you look at gaps in times and you put that together with feasts and festivals, it all is a perfect fit. But we'll table that for another study. The tribulation is a window of time that occurs within that three and a half years, the final three and a half years. And I say this for a reason. Because the post-tribulationists, they say, well, the rapture is after, you know, the seven years. No. Because it is written, 70 weeks are decreed in the prophecies of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. 70 weeks are decreed, and it's to seal up prophecy and anoint Jesus the most holy. You see, post-tribulation is also wrong. 
also unbiblical. Today, people say rapture timing is non-essential. Today, people say that rapture timing is not a salvation issue. The brainiacs say, oh, it's non-salvific. Non-salvation issue. But this mindset is a luxury afforded different times. We're living in a time where wolves call prophecy a distraction. Bible prophecy a distraction. They say that people who are distracted from Bible or with Bible prophecy prophecy are unfit for the kingdom of heaven. That's Rick Warren, a wolf. Oh, he's got a mega church. He's got all this big church. That's nice. He's got all the books. That's nice. His teachings fail to align with the truth of God's holy word. Behold the wolf, of which are many. The rapture timing being non-essential. That's fading. Certain things which were once held are can no longer be held on to. Rapture timing will be essential. And it is essential. Remember the Lord says, Hosea 4, My people perish for lack of knowledge. You see? And yet we see with a profound love of truth. Even when it hurts. Understand that when the truth of God's holy word hurts, the Lord is at work. Making new creations in Christ. Being transformed by renewing of the mind. Letting go of this, these preconceived notions. You could have preconceived notions about everything. About sex, drugs, Buddha, the occult, all these things. But when you're confronted with the truth of God's holy word. And you yield to the spirit which yields in the truth of God's holy word. And by the spirit he helps you apply these things in life. You could say, wow, you know, I believe in all this kinds of sex. But then the Bible says that's not good. So I'm yielding to the word of God. No more of this sex. I believe in all this drugs and occult and Buddha and Harry Krishna's and all these things. But the Bible says this. No more with the Krishna's. No more with the Buddha, with the gambling, with the sex, with the strippers, with the prostitutes, with the Virgin Mary, with all these different things. The Krishna's. None of it. Only you, Lord. And that's the beauty of profound love of truth. You see? To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, I say unto you, onward to paradise. God bless you. I love you.